Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. From the wide world of news this morning, the newsletter that I'm a paid subscriber for and I recommend you do likewise, no doubt with an eye on New York's 19th Congressional District, the result last night, Mark Halpern reports that the gang of 500 chatter is as follows. With the Supreme Court taking the unprecedented step of taking away a right, The strangest economy in memory and a bunch of private Republican polling showing Democratic Senate and gubernatorial candidates running well ahead of Mr. Biden's job approval numbers. We might need to throw history in the trash. This is Mark Halpern. Mark, thanks so much for being here. Let's talk New York politics. I never paid attention to New York's 19th. In fact, I've barely done so even today. I mixed it up with New York's 17th. What's the significance? I am a big believer, Michael, good morning, in not overreading the results of individual races, which the press often does. This race, different. You look at the timing of it, you look at the nature of the district, very competitive, a swing district, uh, and you look at the two candidates, both high-quality candidates, neither side claiming their candidate was a huge superstar or a huge dud, and you look at the clarity of the messages they ran on, the victorious Democrat running very much front and center on abortion rights, the Republican running a very textbook campaign on the Biden economy is a failure, the border is insecure, et cetera, and the Democrat won. And if this were a normal midterm cycle, there's no reason to believe the Republican wouldn't have won and maybe won handily. And so this is the this is not the first sign, but it is in some ways the most clearing sign in its proximity to the midterm election itself means it must be paid attention to. And as I write in Wide World of News, I don't think there's any doubt any longer that abortion rights has changed the calculus of this midterm. We don't know how much, and I don't think we'll know how much. I think it's a very hard thing to measure, and and that's part of why this district is getting attention, because it is a real-world measurement of sorts. The big question to me now is, what are Republicans going to do about it? It's pretty clear that they would be taking a massive risk if all they do is talk about inflation, and they don't engage either in their macro messaging as part of debate answers or television advertising, but also their micro-targeting, because you can bet Democrats will be micro-targeting the pro-abortion, pro-abortion rights message all over the place, and red states too. So the significance to me is, number one, it shows abortion rights is, as many have said, a huge deal. And number two, again, are Republicans really going to do nothing about the political threat this poses to their uh, their what they thought was a march to majority in the House and the Senate? I said in the first hour of the program that there's a small fraction of the 435 congressional districts that are truly in play in any particular cycle. Maybe the number is two dozen. This seat, Mm -hmm. a true toss up. One of those rare districts won by Barack Obama in 2012, Trump in 2016 and Joe Biden in 2020. Mm -hmm. So, again, this is a district that swings and a district that swings in, in a, in, if the normal midterm dynamics were taking place, that the party out of power, now the Republican Party, is going to do well, they should have won this seat. And again, sometimes when these these things happen, what the Republicans will say is, well, our candidate wasn't very good. He, he or she ran a lousy campaign. They were outraised, outspent. None of that exists here. It's a pretty clean test and a clean test of message. It wasn't a pro-life Democrat or a pro-choice Republican. And so, again, uh, I'm very humble about trying to determine the extent to which abortion is going to absolutely dominate and and, and shape these midterm results. In your state, Michael, Philadelphia Inquirer had a very important story about 
voter new voter registrations and the fact that a lot of Democratic women seem to be registering. So I'm humble about interpreting it. But again, I'll say anyone who's trying to minimize the Supreme Court decision and say, well, voters will vote their pocketbooks. Uh, what this will be decided about is the Biden economy, I think, is making a, a, an analytical mistake. And if Republicans continue to just assume that they cannot say anything about where they actually stand on abortion rights, I think I, 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 I've I long thought Democrats might keep control of the Senate independent of this because they're Republicans have nominated a bunch of horrible candidates. I now think, and this is the first time I'm saying this in public, not that my view is all that important, but I haven't written this yet. I really do think now Democrats could keep control of the House. This this wow. variable is wow. that is that crazy a variable. And by crazy, I mean unpredictable, unknowable. And and this House contest tells it, as, as you said, we're not talking about a, a playing field where Republicans might win 60 seats. The ceiling on the number of seats they win is probably no higher than the mid 30s. And so we're talking about hand to hand combat in a number of these races. And if abortion rights is as 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 big of a driver of Democratic enthusiasm and of Democratic voting and as winning over swing voters as it appears to be in this House district, then Democrats could really keep the House. And that the implications of that are obviously massive for our politics and for our country. We've been speaking for five minutes. We've been talking about an important race that was resolved last night in New York, and neither of us has mentioned the name Donald Trump. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. We've been speaking for five minutes. We've been talking about an important race that was resolved last night in New York, and neither of us has mentioned the name Donald Trump. So what, of any, significance did he play in that race, or do you see him playing in the midterm election? Or have we moved on, at least temporarily, where it'll be about things other than Trump? Right. No, I mean, part of why this midterm is unlike any other is there are more unknowable variables that don't really have analogs in our recent past in a stew, some cutting for the Democrats, some cutting against the Democrats, that make it make it very just very hard to analyze. The economy is one. I'll get to Trump in a moment. The economy is one. Is the economy good or bad? You know, inflation's bad. Unemployment rate's low. The growth rates have been low, but there are signs of, in some sectors, of growth. It's clearly not an economy that people love, and the polls reflect that. But it may not be so bad that Republicans win off of that. Is Donald Trump being in the news because of Mar-a-Lago and the documents good or bad for Republicans? It's good for Republicans in that it um, it it energizes Republicans. It, it it's certainly good for Trump politically in the short term. It it it, it binds the party together in anger. It, it certainly increases Republican enthusiasm to vote out those those raiding Democrats. I say in air quotes. It's 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 bad for Republicans. It's good for Republicans in the sense that people aren't talking about the recent passage of Democratic legislation that's popular with a lot of voters. It's bad for Republicans if the Democrats are right that when Donald Trump is front and center, it helps them with voters. But I also, what's it going to be like? You know, Trump is going to Pennsylvania for a rally. That's a, not a surprise to me, but it wasn't a foregone conclusion. How much will Biden and Trump be on the trail now? I think a lot. I think I think Biden, Trump because of Mar-a-Lago, Biden because of the passage of this legislation, and the Democratic Party being more united now than they have been all this calendar year. So we're going to see, I think, those two guys much more front and center than are on the campaign trail. Last night, Trump didn't endorse in a lot of races. He took a pass on a lot of races where non-Trumpy Trump, candidates, Republicans won primaries. 
you you could say that was blind luck. I would say that there and there's other signs of this. There's more sophistication in the Trump political operation about where he endorsed and where he didn't than they're usually given credit for. Where Trump did endorse and where Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, endorsed, they did very well. And so Trump and DeSantis, I think, are very strong within the Republican Party. That's, I think, without a doubt. How strong are they as general election candidates? In the case of DeSantis, we'll see in the fall. In the case of Trump, we don't know, but we know clearly not nearly as strong as he is within the party. And the comments, Mark, that you've made so far are really focused on the House because you and I have agreed previously that the Senate is a whole different circumstance where the candidates poke through, people get to know them. It's not a wave election necessarily. A decision in Georgia is going to get made on Herschel Walker and on Raphael Warnock, not on just the natural national sentiment. Yeah, I mean, I, I I generally agree with you, and I know we've discussed this. It's not quite as binary as that, right? There are House races where the individuals matter a lot, and, and they're not just swept up in the national sentiment. And there are Senate races where where the national mood does matter. So it's not it's not all or nothing. But there's no doubt that Senate races much more make their own wind of weather, that voters are much more likely to vote knowing who the candidates actually are rather than just the party line, without a doubt. And the news there for Republicans, I saw some private data yesterday from a Republican poll. It was just horrible for the Republicans in almost every competitive Senate race. Uh, their standing of their candidates is horrible and their candidates are horrible. They're doing a horrible job. And you already see the finger pointing going on. You already see a lot of donors uh, who normally would give a lot to try to win back control of the Senate, taking a pass on some of these races and, and or at least keeping their wallets closed until they see a better performance. And so. You know, if Republicans only take the House and they don't take the Senate and then see what happens, to the governor's races, that would be by historical standards and expectation standards, a disappointment. But if they if they only win a dozen House seats or even fewer, obviously, that would be just a, a cataclysmic event for the party where there'd be a lot of second guessing, I think, primarily about how they handled abortion and how they handled Trump. Charlie Crist wins the Democratic nomination in Florida. He'll run against Ron DeSantis. In the wide world of news this morning, the Gang of 500 chatter is as follows. If abortion plays just right for the Democrats, and if DeSantis makes some errors by flying too close to the sun, and if Val Demings keeps the Senate race close by swelling non-white voter turnout, and if Crist brings back some of the magic and determination that made him governor in the first place, if all that happens, then the DeSantis reelect could go from White House springboard to something more like the opposite. Expand on that. Any governor of either party running for re-election and thinking about running in two short years for the presidency, which means starting a presidential campaign almost immediately after they get re-elected, wants to run up the score. They want to not just have a, a smashing popular vote victory, but they also want to show in the exit polls that they've got demographic appeal. Young voters, if it's a Republican in particular, they want to show strength with young voters, non-white voters, suburban voters. If it's a Democrat, they want to show strength in rural areas and, and with older voters. And so Governor DeSantis now faces a very wily opponent, often underrated, sometimes overrated. But Charlie Crist, you know, the current polls have him five or six behind. If abortion is a really big deal, all the things on my list there, if Val Demings runs a strong Senate campaign as his ticket mate, and, 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 and DeSantis ends up winning in a two-person vote, 51-49, even 52-48, I don't know how much momentum that gives him. 
out of this. And his he's got a, he's got tens of millions of dollars to spend. But the first ad, the ad, not the first ad, but an ad he put out this week attacking the media using a Top Gun motif. Kamikaze, yeah, right. It's very the much pilot. like a it's very much a Fox News ad. It's a right. it's a base ad. So so is 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 DeSantis going to get well above ninety percent of Republican votes in this contest? Yes, but historically, what governors who want to run for president do is they try to appeal to moderates and independents and centrists and Democrats too, if they're Republican. So. I'll be curious to see how he messages, and again, how much can Charlie Crist hold hold him down? Uh, I cited uh, yesterday in Wild World of News the case of George Bush in 1998 when he ran for re-election against Gary Morrow. Democrats tried to help him. Al Gore went in and did events for him. Uh, Bill Clinton, his old friend, tried to help him, but Morrow could not slow Bush down. Bush had a smashing re-election that he springboarded to the White House. We'll be curious to see if DeSantis in the next couple months, spends all that money, debates Chris, deals with Chris's attacks, including on abortion. Chris in the past was pro-life. He's now pro-choice. Uh, and, and, and that contrast alone may hold, may hold DeSantis down below the vote total he's looking for and the support from women he's hoping for. In the category of governors contemplating a run for the presidency who want to have some appeal to moderates, you also reference in the wide world of news today, Gavin Newsom having rejected the supervised drug use that was proposed for three California cities. It was L.A., San Francisco, and Oakland, as I recall, which angered backers to the approach. You say the conventional wisdom about this is that Newsom is too timid to challenge his quote-unquote friend Kamala Harris for the nomination, and he's too liberal to win a presidential general election. But the so-called Gang of 500 today says neither of those is true. I've followed Gavin Newsom since when he was mayor of San Francisco, and while he certainly has many liberal positions and on some issues like on gay marriage, he, he, same-sex marriage, he's been he's been on the forefront. He's done many things that are more moderate than where the Democratic Party is today. This re- latest veto is is in that category, and so I still think it's a challenge to run for governors for president as governor of California logistically. I still think that anyone who's thinking of running for the Democratic nomination in 24 who's not named Biden or Harris has to figure out how you, how you deal with Biden and Harris. But I, I, my, my view of him was reinforced by this decision to veto this bill, which is he, he's going to surprise people if he runs with, with the moderate aspects of his record while being able to maintain ties to the left. And I think he's one of the few people who would be willing to take on Kamala Harris for a variety of reasons. So. The two, the two folks I've got my eyes on this week, again, outside the big four, Biden, Harris, DeSantis, Trump, are Gavin Newsom for the Democrats and um, the governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin of Virginia, who I'm still working on some reporting. But he he's doing a lot more to prepare to possibly run than, than has been reported than people realize. Hey, Mark, re- returning just to, to the 19th and the takeaway, something that can make us all look smart today in engaging in water cooler conversation, if there is such a thing. Passion seems, I mean, what we're really discussing in the overall is whether passion, which had seemingly been on the Republican side because of inflation, because of crime, because of the border, still three bona fide issues. I think what I'm hearing you say, and I buy into most of it, the idea that, you know, maybe Dobbs, maybe the overturning of Roe versus Wade, and maybe some of the successes that Biden has had more recently, there could have been a momentum shift that we just witnessed last night in a very centrist New York congressional district. Yeah, absolutely. But this is another false binary I'd I'd warn people uh, against, whether they're at the water cooler or some other place. 
Yes, it's about energizing the base, but it's also about appealing to moderate voters, centrist voters, independents who vote regularly. So it's not about energizing them to the polls. It's about persuading them. And these issues, abortion, guns, uh, prescription drug costs, these are issues that rev up the Democratic base. But the polling is pretty clear. They also have broad appeal to the more centrist voter. And so these are two firsts for the Democrats. This is why you see so much unity in the Democratic Party now. The base is jazzed up, but not at the expense of alienating moderates. Their positions on things like immigration and crime, just the opposite. The base can be revved up, although also sometimes disappointed, but the general drift of the policy is for the base, but alienates moderates. These, these things that Democrats plan to run on now do both things. And so, so yes, the enthusiasm gap has been closed, and that's a big part of the story. But it is also the case that Democrats right now can believe, and, and there's some reason to believe they're right, they've got more to say to moderate voters, independent voters right now in these midterms than Republicans do. And that's very different than just a few weeks, a few months ago. The wide world of news. I'm a paid subscriber and I recommend that everyone else do exactly that. Mark, that was an excellent analysis. Again, I'm reminded whenever it is we set the schedule for Wednesdays was brilliant to have you here after so many momentous elections is just perfect timing. So thank you for that. And and I suggest after primary season's over and Ted Lasso comes back on, we, we go on the, whatever the day after those episodes first air. Well, uh, Curb, Curb was just <laughs> renewed for a uh, for a new season. So we could do Mondays as well. We'll see. We, but but we you're right. After Wednesdays Curb. has worked out well as long as <laughs> as long as there are primaries and caucuses, Wednesdays work out. Amen. Pretty, Thank- pretty, 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 pretty. Absolutely. Good. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it All as right, always. Talk to you soon, Michael. Mark Halpern. Let me let me go to my uh, my Scrivener. Uh, were you taking notes when Mark said at ten oh nine oh four? When let's see if if you have the right answer. When he said that for the first time he is believing he didn't predict it, but he said that there's a possibility. That De- How did he say it? Did he you said write it for down? The first time he believes that Dems could keep control of the House. Holy crap! That would be ten oh nine oh four a.m. And and again, you know, people misunderstand. Like, oh, that's what Halpern wants. No, it's not what he wants. And when he makes he's a when he makes when, no, he's 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 just an analyst. That's what I'm saying. And, and when he makes comments about Trump, that they, oh, he's carrying what? No, he's he's here to call balls and strikes and he is saying with with his uh long record of experience and reporting that he thinks it is a possibility is that what it was tc that he thinks it's a possibility say it again for the first time i believe dems could could control of the house could there's a lot there to unpack. I'd love to hear all of your reactions. I thought that he made a really bright point at the end that Democrats now at this stage, and of course, so much is going to happen in the next 11 weeks. But right now, they've been able to rev up the base, but not at the expense of swing voters. And if you tuned in late or you're just trying to understand, well, what's the significance of of what happened last night in New York? You've got a very swing district there just aren't many of them one that went for obama one that went for trump then went back to biden two quality candidates a two-point race in the end and it was the democrat who won neither flawed candidate both decent candidates enough money was spent and it was a democratic pickup that had not been anticipated by many Republicans. And now that on the heels of the Kansas referendum, the Dobbs overturning of Roe versus Wade is people saying, wait a minute, you know, Republicans have. They've got the border and they've got crime and they've got inflation, but Democrats, Democrats have them some things going for them as well. Abortion rights and also Biden's successes, including prescription meds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. So you heard Mark's answer. Now I want to hear yours. Has there just been a momentum shift? And do you share his thought that it's possible Democrats could take uh, or maintain control of the House of Representatives? This is Maxine checking in in Louisville, Colorado. Hi. Hi, Michael. Um, I really um, thought that last segment was so interesting. And I um, I, I think the notion that the, that the Democrats are doing some kind of brilliant strategy and that's why they're gaining momentum is just not true. What's true is the Republicans are nuts. You know, we have Lauren Boebert here in Colorado. You have people like Marjorie Taylor Greene. You have a Senate candidate in Ohio saying that abused women should stay with their husbands, right? The beyond row, there's so much going on that, that the Republicans have become so overtly extreme that it scares people. And, and even, you know, you just mentioned about Fauci, right? I think you have a really good mixed moderate audience. I'm very progressive. I listen to you because I love to, to, to hear that conversation. And look at how many people support Fauci. The Republicans have vilified Fauci. On every single issue, they have gone off the deep end. Well, I think, okay, I think some of that, I think some of that is a factor. I think some of these Senate candidates are reminiscent of Christine O'Donnell in 2010 or Todd Akin in 2012. I may be off in my cycles, but you'll remember um, uh, Richard Murdoch was another. There have been some extreme candidates who have gotten through. I have said here, Dr. Oz was not the best general election candidate who could have been nominated. Dave McCormick would have been a, a much more formidable opponent for uh, for Fetterman in the same way Connor Lamb would have Absolutely. been, frankly, as a D. So but but, you know, who comes out in the primary and who's left in the party and the GOP side? And that's that's the explanation. I don't I don't know that uh, I don't know that Democrats are doing such great things. Motive the, the the cards have fallen in their favor with the Supreme yes. Court overturning of Roe versus Wade. It's not that they engineered that, um, but that is a benefit. I mean, the country is more pro-choice than it is pro-life. I think all the data shows that. And we didn't know how it would be, how effective it would be in the fall, how much of a motivator it would be. But here we are at the end of August and people are still fired up about that issue. I'm 60 years old and I remember when it was illegal to have an abortion. And I can tell you, I had absolutely no doubt people people who are going to be fired up because women in this country do not want to be told what they can or can't do with their bodies i had a miscarriage i had an abortion and i've had a baby and i'm 60 going to be 61 years old and i don't need any help with that from the republican I get it. party i totally get it court. maxine thank you i gotta run appreciate you listening and uh and your comment about the program generally which i agree Vinny poughkeepsie hi hi so while I'm happy Pat Ryan won, and I think it is, you know, the Democrats are going to do better than I, than I think people expect, I, using the 19th, you know, the election, I don't think it's going to play. I mean, I don't think it's as, much, as important as people are making it out to be because the, the special election is for two months. Then Pat Ryan's going to run in the 18th district, which he's probably going to do pretty well in. But Marcus Molinaro is running in the 19th district which is much more rural. It's Green County, Columbia County. Chances are they're both going to end up in Congress. Um, 
I just I think it's um they're they're jumping a little too far ahead. I do think. Um, but it's a but it's a, but it's a snapshot. Know, it it is it is a window, right? I mean, it's a window where two credible people squared off in a swing district. There's a lot going on in the world. Which one won the D by two points? Yeah, I get it, but I also think you know there's going to be I you know come November they're both going to get in. Is my point? And my I, I hear is, you. Um, yeah, yeah. No, but Vinny, here's what I would say. Today's the 24th of August. You and I have no idea the type of issues we are going to be talking about in late September and early October because the nature of this news cycle, it is constantly, constantly changing. So the only thing I know for sure is that today's issues will not necessarily be the issues on which the election decided. But we are getting close. It's now 11 weeks out. Well, and I absolutely heard some good comments about, like, Marcus Bonner, who I know, he's a family friend, kind of. And I like him. I don't agree with him, but I like him. Um, he had an ad out where he talked about, and he's talking to the Republican talking points about the 86,000 or whatever it is, um, IRS workers. And I've heard people say, well, all right, but now the Republicans who are for law and order and want to throw the book at people for stealing, say, something to feed their family are telling people it's okay if you do white-collar crime and you want to cheat on your taxes. And I think that plays. That's sort of how people are viewing it. And with the Republicans coming out of thing, against things like that. And it's like, I think they need to, you know, they're doing mixed, mixed messaging. Which is I, I, get, I, get that the, yeah, I get that the IRS has antiquated computer systems and, and needs a staffing overhaul because they're vastly underfunded. I mean, the people who are under audit... We heard from accountants when we talked about this. A lawyer calls and says, hey, I'm, I'm representing someone, or maybe it was a CPA. I can't even get a call back on behalf of an American whose tax status is being questioned. Like, that's inexcusable. But I want to go after the people who blatantly stole PPP funds, not those for whom they were forgiven and were legit, but the people who just ran the register on something they knew they could manipulate. Uh, Mike, St. Louis, Missouri, greetings. What did you want to say? Um, hey, I just wanted to make a comment about the Democratic uh, governor uh, nominee for uh, for Florida, Charlie Crist. Yeah, um, I saw I saw him on New Day this morning. Caitlin Collins interviewed him, and he was absolutely awful. He was inarticulate. He was repetitive, and he also sounded really desperate for money because he plugged his website. I'm not kidding, five or six times. I know he is desperate for money, but he just, just Chris. It doesn't strike me as someone that's going to win over all the other Floridians. So I did not see it, although I've been in studio for a long time today from the wee hours of the morning, and I did see Charlie Crist pop up on, I'm sure it wasn't Fox, but I saw him pop up on CNN and on MSNBC, but my sound is muted. Is it possible that the guy was up late, he won last night, you know, a little punch drunk today, or you think it was it was just more than that? Uh, that's a possibility. I think it's more than that. He just yeah. um, he just needs some rehearsing. Uh, could he clean it up in 11 weeks? Maybe. But he needs to polish, <laughs> polish the speaking points. It's, fo- it's so funny that you say that. Again, I didn't see today. But if anything, if you were to ask me to critique Charlie Crist, my criticism would be, little too smooth, little too smooth. He would benefit from being rougher around the edges. Uh, yeah, he's careful. I'll, I'll say that. He's careful. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, Mike, thank you for that. Appreciate it. Yeah, a little insight. You know, here's how the candidate played. Nancy, you're in West Michigan. Greetings. Greetings. Um, hey. This weekend, the Michigan Republican Party has their convention. Okay. And the main offices here in our state that are going to be that are up for re-election, re-election are governor, attorney general, and um, lieutenant governor, and um, secretary of state. It looks like the Michigan Republican Party is still all, all MAGA candidates. They're not even bringing any in the middle. So uh, us independent voters really have to really do our research and stuff to, to make a good vote because everybody everybody on on the Republican side are all election deniers and um, conspiracy theorists and so let me let me tell let me tell you something that you might find interesting. Uh, this is from Axios because I did not do this analysis myself. They said, as with a number of Trump diehards this cycle, several of the ultra MAGA candidates refused to concede last night. They all said several ultra MAGA candidates fell short in their primary bids, and they uh, they listed New York's second congressional district, New York's twenty third, Florida's seventh, and Florida's eleventh. What united the four Republican victors who were who were ultra MAGA? They weren't endorsed by Trump. Did I explain that clearly? I hope that I yeah. did. Trump, Tudor, yeah. Tudor Dixon, who's running for the Republican uh, representative for the governor, she is she has been endorsed by Donald Trump. No, no, but I, I'm making a point that there were some. I see you confirmed. I, I did a poor job of explaining it. There were some running who were so extreme, not even Trump would embrace them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we're running into in this state, you know, because. You know, there's still some residual anger towards Whitmer because of the sh- shutdown during COVID. And, sure. our, and our shutdown was quite severe compared to some of the other states. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, that gets back to the Fauci issue. Thank you, Nancy. I appreciate it. Thanks for putting Michigan on our uh, our radar. Boynton Beach, Florida is where Merrill is standing by. Hi, Merrill. Hi. Thank Hi. you for answering. This is sure. the first time I've ever done this. And I'm kind All of right. Nice. Well, I loved your interview with Mr. Halpern, and and I'll be very honest, as someone who immerses herself in political news all day long, (laughs) which I probably shouldn't do, um, for the first time in a long time, I'm feeling extremely excited. I'm a Democrat, liberal, and I really feel very, very hopeful for the very first time in a very, very long time. And all I can say, and I'll hang up after this, is dark Brandon is rising and I couldn't be happier. <laughs> is that a, um, is that a thing? I don't know. Maybe it is now. Wait, it's, 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 um, come on. What's the show? What? I can, I can imagine the soundtrack. I thought of the she show. meant like, let's go Brandon. Oh, dark Brandon. Isn't that okay. what she's talking about? Oh, yes, it is. Well, dark only Brandon. because of the, the attempt at reversing. Right, the whole, right, right, right. Let's Taking go, Brandon. control of it. I'm totally I was in a, my head was in a completely different place. See, still seeing lots of boats with let's go, Brandon flags. It's amazing to me. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe it's being turned now to advantage. Who knows? The Smirconish podcast for independent minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com.